I've always been validated in myself. Haters and doubters or whatever. We all watch the games. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on Facebook at facebook.com slash redrockbasketball, and of course on Instagram at redrock underscore b-ball as well. We are here today to finish off the season in review series of podcasts. We're going to be looking at the Golden State Warriors, and also I'm going to discuss yesterday's Dwight Howard trade. So let's get to it. To it. Yesterday was obviously a crazy day. We did the uh, 2017 NBA mock draft, so if you haven't checked out that podcast, go back and listen to that. And about 40 minutes before I recorded that, the D'Angelo Russell Brook Lopez trade went down. So I discussed my thoughts on that at length at the start of that show. So if you want to hear my thoughts there, but then after I recorded an hour or so after I'd finished recording, Dwight Howard ended up being traded. I thought today I'd wake up to some more crazy news. The only craziness that I woke up to today was, uh, was Jay Moore telling me that it was laughable that I said that last year's paces were better than the Lakers if you took Paul George off. So. That's where we're at there as, uh, as Lakers homers started to come at me and tell me that, uh, yeah, that the, the, if you put Paul George on the Lakers team, that they improved by 16 wins. So, uh, that was that, that happened. Um, yeah, so, uh, Jay Moore calling me laughable was the biggest, biggest development of the, uh, of the overnight period here in Australia. We're going to talk here Golden State Warriors, but let's start with Dwight Howard. And honestly, how much of a shit bloke must this guy be to, to get rid of Dwight Howard? after his big homecoming as your big signing last season to trade him away plus pick 31, which is a very good pick to get a worse draft pick back, pick 41 to get a much, much worse player, Miles Plumley, who is on a horrendous contract, which is $12 million, which goes for one year longer than Dwight Howard's contract and throwing in Marco Ballinelli. The Hawks must've just said, just get this guy out of here. Like we just have want nothing to do with him. Yes, he is a better player than any of those guys. That is without a doubt. And I am a big... I think Dwight Howard is still a useful player. People go very hard on Howard. And as I've said you know, a few weeks ago, talking about you know, Hall of Fame. Like he's definitely a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. There's no doubt about that. People are always trash, garbage, all that sort of shit. No, I'm very much in the Dwight Howard is still useful. He was still pretty good for Atlanta, but he just must be an absolute A-grade ship bloke that they could say, right, we'll take back one of the worst contracts in the NBA that runs a year longer than Dwight's. We'll give you a better draft pick, and that's it. To me, what that signifies on the Atlanta side is that Paul Millsap won't be coming back. That's my un- that's my read of it. We've already heard the GM, Travis Schlenk, come out and say, you know, Paul is going to get bigger offers elsewhere. So that means 100% that they are not offering him the max because they they are the team with his bird rights. They can offer him more than anybody else. So for him to come out and say that he will get bigger offers elsewhere, that means that they are not offering him the max. So they are not, as their ownership said not long ago, all in 100% on keeping him. They are, they are not that because they are not offering the most money that they can. So what I think this means is that Yes, Howard was a shit bloke, but it's also that Millsap is gone. I don't think they bring back Tarbo. They might not bring back Tim Hardaway. And I think that this is the start of a process. 
perhaps in Atlanta, that they are looking to get themselves down into the top 10 of the 2018 NBA draft. If they're starting Miles Plumley at center, that's where they'll end up. Plumlee had a decent half season for Phoenix in his time there um, and then fell off, then got traded to Milwaukee. And yeah, he, some of his numbers were okay in Milwaukee. His defense did drop off a fair bit, but he, he cannot handle more than 15 minutes a game. And when you've got no other center on your roster, the other guy you've got there is Mike Muscala, you're in a little bit of trouble. So I reckon this could be a, a reset from the Hawks, and I think that's what's probably going down. So they're going to be an interesting situation in free agency. What does Hardaway do? What does Cephalosha do? What does Millsap do? Um, and it's going to open up some tremendous fantasy value for guys like Tory and Prince. Maybe it even opens up for DeAndre Bembry. Maybe they draft a center at pick 19, Justin Patton, Jarrett Allen, and they put him straight into the fire and play him 25 minutes a night and play Plumlee the rest. That's a possibility. There's a lot of things that are opening up here for Atlanta, given this Dwight Howard trade news. Next part of it is the Charlotte Hornets side. And the Hornets, they get themselves a bargain. We know that Steve Clifford has worked with Dwight in Orlando and he speaks very highly of him despite all the shenanigans of Dwight in Orlando. They already had a very good starting center in Cody Zeller. I am not 100% convinced that Dwight will start for this team. I know that he will get minutes, but... I do not think that he is starting and playing 30-plus minutes. Let's rephrase that. He is 100% not playing 30-plus minutes on this team, Dwight. Cody Zeller was absolutely incredibly important for this team, and Steve Clifford has to know that. Now, Dwight can be a rim protector, which this team hasn't had, but he barely played the 30 minutes last season for Atlanta. I think you're going to see more a 24-24 split or a 26-22 split between Zeller and Howard. Maybe they move Cody out to the four a little bit, which would be a bad decision when you've got Marvin Williams and Frank Kaminsky there already. But I, they're not going to play 32 minutes of Dwight and 16 minutes of Cody Zeller. That is not the case. Cody Zeller was a better player than Dwight Howard for big chunks of last season. Well, a more important player, yes, he might not have put up the stats. And I put up this poll yesterday, who was a better player, is Zeller or Howard? And I think the results came in even. And someone said, look, you're joking. Like, why would you even have this as a poll? And I go, because Cody Zeller is better than Dwight. Nah, man, Dwight would dunk on him and block his shot into the front row. And I call it, that's what you think basketball is then I don't know how to help you. That, that That's not what it is. It, Dwight could probably block his shot occasionally, but Cody Zeller contributes more to winning basketball, in my opinion. That doesn't mean that he's going to go out there and play 30 minutes a night because he won't. It's more going to be, a, I think, a 24-24 split or a 26-22 split. It also eliminates any chances of Kaminsky playing at center or them thinking that he's got any hope at center. He put up great stats at center last season, Kaminsky, when Zeller was injured. But he was absolutely shitful on the court. They they got destroyed when he played at center. His on-off numbers and his um, plus-minus was shit-ass when he played at center. The team was bad. He cannot play at center. And that is going to limit what Frank... And people are going to think, oh, this is the Frank Kaminsky breakout. We saw it last season. It's not necessarily going to... Uh, well, not necessarily. It's not going to be the case because he's going to play almost exclusively at the four. And Marvin Williams is there. So he might be in a 26-22 minute split as well or a 27-21 minute split. However it is, it also brings into question is how can you possibly play a lineup with Marvin Williams, um, MKG, and Dwight Howard all together? Like there's just no, there's no shooting whatsoever. Like Williams can shoot a little bit, but he, he can be streaky. But those other two, there's no shooting. So Howard and MKG combination is going to be troublesome. So maybe this limits what Kid Gilchrist can do. And we saw that last year that Steve Clifford started really limiting what Kid Gilchrist could do. And in the fourth quarter, he just wouldn't play him, and he'd play Ballinelli over him. 
Now, Balinelli's gone, so who's that? Do they bring in as that other shooter? What do they do at pick 11? Is it Luke Kennard? Balding white guy. Yes, that sounds like it fits Charlotte's MO. Do they bring in who I picked in the mock for them yesterday, Donovan Mitchell, before I knew this trade went down? A guy who can play perimeter defense and can potentially hit the three and play at the one and two as well. So I think that you know the initial thoughts of Zach Collins going there at pick 11, I don't think that will be the case now, and they will go with Kennard or Mitchell at pick 11 would, would be my guess. Or if, say, a guy like... Uh, Dennis Smith or Frank Nilakina happens to fall, then you'd snatch those guys up immediately at pick 11. But that's how I see all that going on at this point. Zala does lose a bit. Howard loses. And he was, Dwight Howard, head-to-head, he was a top 30 player last year. He loses some of his value as well. Whereas Ballinelli and Plummy, like who bloody knows? There's just so many moving parts there in Atlanta. They could legit both be starting, and that team would be horrendous, but they could both be starting. That That is the possibility. But at least Marco Ballinelli going to Atlanta means that there is at least one wing player that Kent Bazemore is better than. So I guess there is a, a silver lining in every dark cloud. Let's transition now and talk Golden State Warriors. I don't know how long I'm going to have to talk about the Golden State Warriors fantasy season because the value is in four blokes, and that's really it. We know that. They were 67 and 15, right on their expected win-loss point differential. They won the championship. They are the greatest team of all time, in my opinion. And for as much as people want to say that KD's ruined the NBA and he's soft and he's a snake, I don't buy into any of that bullshit. I've said it a million times. I would have preferred that KD go to another team, stayed in OKC, go to Boston. Man, completely mix things up and go to New Orleans, whatever. I just want stuff to be mixed up. That's what I what I root for as someone who watches and tries to work all this stuff out. Just weird stuff is always fun, and that's why this offseason has been fun already. But I definitely don't think that he was a snake or he's you know, gutless. I don't believe any of that bullshit, any of that. This championship has an asterisk bullshit. It's all bullshit. And I'll continue to say bullshit because that's that's generally what I believe. But this team was amazing. They were, they were sensational. And the NBA has lost its collective mind trying to work out how they're going to beat the Warriors or planning for when the Warriors won't be good. And they won't be good forever. It, 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 they just will not. They will not be good forever. They will not be good for you know, 10 years in a row. It's impossible. Shit will happen. Egos will come to the fore. Players will get hurt. Form will drop. Other players will unexpected, unexpectedly rise, like Draymond, like Clay, like Yanni. These sort of guys that come out of nowhere and you go, shit, okay, well, this guy is now a top 10 player in the league. Where did that come from? That could happen to three blokes on one team. It's unlikely, but... You know, we didn't expect Steph or Clay or Draymond to be this guy in Golden State, and they all rose on the same team. It is possible. So people who just think, oh, the NBA is a foregone conclusion, it's just not the case because shit changes all the time. The Warriors' picks in this draft are exactly zero. They have nothing. They could buy themselves a second rounder as they did last season, which was an, a, a tremendous deal for them to get Patrick McCaw with that pick. So look for them to maybe get back into that second round to, to supplement their team with a, another young, talented player. Free agency is where there are the questions because a lot of their players are free agents. We'll start with Kevin Durant, who has a $27 million player option that he is going to decline. And he will re-sign with this team, apparently on a two-plus-one deal. There's no doubt about that. Steph Curry, as an unrestricted free agent, he's coming back as well. So the two biggest names in free agency, there's pretty much... Look, stuff. I guess stuff can happen. I just really, I really do not see it going down. And Steph and KD will be back. Then they've got a bunch of other guys. James Michael McAdoo is a restricted free agent. Who cares? He 
He's not that good. He, he barely contributes. And then they've got a big list of unrestricted guys. Andre Iguodala is the number one player. Will he take a discount to come back to Golden State? Will teams throw out $20-plus million offers for him to go somewhere else? That could be the beginning of a, a, a crack in this Golden State facade if Iguodala goes because he is super, super important for this team. I'm not sure that Pat McCall is 100% ready to step into that role, but if Iguodala does move, that's what will happen, and McCall will become a, a valuable fantasy player, which is something that I spoke about all last season and at the draft, that he is the guy who was ready-made to fit into that Iguodala role when he eventually vacates it. They've also got Sean Livingston, Zaza Pachulia, David West, JaVale McGee, Ian Clark, and Matt Barnes, all as unrestricted free agents. All of those players were rotation players, so they could potentially lose any of them. West, Zaza, these guys who chased rings and got one. Do they want to go somewhere else? And instead of getting $2 million or $1 million, can, will someone offer them $8 million for two years? Yeah, $16 million total. Will that happen? It, it is a legit possibility. And they might say, well, you know what? I got my ring. I love it here, but you know what? Eight times the amount of pay might be something that I want to want to get now that I've achieved what I need to achieve. And you know, losing a couple of those guys could have an impact. So there is some interesting decisions as what they want to do. You'd almost assume that uh, JaVale is gone and Ian Clark, I think, is gone as well. And that Clark departure could open up some minutes there for uh, for McCaw and McGee going. Maybe they can get Kavon Looney, who they're, they're not big on, or Damian Jones maybe jumps into that uh, JaVale McGee role. So there is going to be some change with this team. It's not going to be at the top end, but Iguodala is the, 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 main, the main portion of that that they, that they need to be concerned about. If we look at their numbers for last season, they're ridiculous. The number one team in offensive rating, the number two team in defensive rating, fourth in pace, sixth in three-point attempt rate, number one in effective field goal percentage, number two in two-point percentage, number one in assists, number one in steals, number one in blocks, number one in points, number one in defending the three-point percentage, the best three-point percentage against them, number one in field goal percentage against, and they had the fourth fewest shots blocked. They are just ludicrous numbers. How do you, how are you the most efficient shooting team, score the most points, have the most assists, steals, and blocks? It is amazing that they were as good as they were. Absolutely fantastic. The highest offensive rating on the team, Iguodala, followed by Durant, McGee, and Curry. And the best defensive rating on the team by a considerable margin, unsurprisingly, was Draymond Green, followed by Dave West, Zaza Pachulia, JaVale, and KD. And they had six blokes shoot 40% on corner threes. David West and James Michael McAdoo, two unsurprising or two surprising names there. Matty Barnes, Steph Curry, KD, and Clay Thompson, those last three, of course. Fairly, uh, fairly predictable. The leaders in the advanced stats, Kevin Durant led in PER and true shooting. He had a true shooting of 65%, which for a guy that shoots as much as he does and scores as much as he does from the perimeter, that's a ludicrous number. And Curry led the team in usage and win shares, while Durant led win shares per 48. Curry had the best offensive box score plus minus, Draymond on the defensive end, and Durant with the best total box score plus minus, while Curry led in VORP. So you can see the load was fairly evenly shared between Curry and Durant. You can make whatever argument you want that Curry's better or Durant's better. In the end, it, it doesn't really matter. I probably would say that Curry is more important, but who cares? They're both as important as each other. They both realize that. They both realize that they're both number one, as dumb as that sounds. And I know that humans have an obsession with lists. So, but who's one? Who's two? Who's three? It doesn't matter. If you're both number one, you're both number one. And that's that's the way that I look at it. That's the way they look at it. And you know what? It worked. So let's just stick with that. 
lineups. They had six lineups that played over 100 minutes during the season. Their most used lineup, unsurprisingly, Curry, KD, Draymond, Clay, and Zaza was a plus 24 in 532 minutes, but their best five men just replaced JaVale for Zaza, which was a plus 32.5. These numbers are obscenely large in these, uh, in these lineups. Most used four man. Well, that's the, the big four. Curry, KD, Draymond, and Clay was a plus 23, but their best four man was Curry, Draymond, Clay. And that man again, JaVale McGee has a plus 26.1. The most used three man, Curry, Dre, and Clay was plus 19.8, while the best three man was KD, Clay, and Zaza at a plus 23.4. And this was the interesting one to me. The most used two-man was Curry and Dre. And that sort of you know, makes sense with the rotations. They used to play Clay and KD a lot together. Plus 17.9 for Curry and Draymond. But the best two-man, Curry. And of course, everyone's boy, Mr. Rattail, JaVale McGee, as a plus 24.9. Let's get into these players now and look at them. Kevin Durant was the third-ranked player in fantasy basketball last season. The team was 8.2 points better off with him on the court, unsurprisingly. A little bit of a, a jump up from last season. Last season, he was, sorry, step down. He was the third-ranked player per game in my head-to-head ranks last year. In my head-to-head ranks this year, he fell to seventh. But wherever you picked him, I think we had him, I think we had him fourth um, in the rankings at the start of the season. He finished the season third, averaging 25, eight and a half, and five one steal, 1.6 blocks, 1.93, shooting 54, 88, and 38. They're bananas, those numbers. He played 33 minutes. He put up huge numbers. He is, again, in that top five consideration, no doubt. Curry, KD, Harden, Westbrook, Yanni, Towns, Davis, Leonard. And I think there's probably someone I'm missing there, but that's... that's oh, I said Leonard. That's, that's the top eight, and I legit... It doesn't really matter which one of those guys you pick. They're going to be really close in their overall value. I'd probably probably go hard and just above the others or Westbrook, but yeah, they're real close. He was ludicrous. How did he compare his numbers to last time, last season in Oklahoma City? Well, he scored three less points per game. He scored 0.7 threes less per game. So how did he have such a successful season? Well, he kept his rebounding the same at 8.3. He got his assists the same at five a game. He increased his steals and he increased his blocks in a big way from 1.2 to 1.6. That's a 33% increase in his blocks. And therefore, that takes that value up. Yeah, that's a, that's a double in terms of the standard score value of that. And that's what, despite the drop in the points, despite the drop in the threes, that's what's able to keep him up there. The other things that were able to keep him up there was the fact that he took his field goal percentage from 50.5 to 53.7. That is a significant increase there as well. So you're talking half a standard score point there also. So yeah, he wasn't as good as he was in Oklahoma City, but he was still good enough to be the number three guy in, in rotisserie ranks and, uh, and the sixth or seventh guy in head-to-head ranks. So that's just where he is. And you know, what do we expect to change next season? Like It's going to be pretty much the same stuff. He'll be efficient. He, the defense is going to be there, the assists, the rebounds. Like Nothing much else is going to change. He's just going to do pretty much exactly what he did this season. I see no reason that any of that stuff will change for Kevin Durant. Steph Curry, the same thing. He finished in the rotisserie rankings as the fifth best player this season. In my head-to-head ranks, he was fourth. Last year, he was the overwhelming number one player. One thing I should also mention is that in NICAT rankings, rotisserie, Durant was one and Curry was three. So that is that is super impressive. So Curry fell to fourth this year. 
played 79 games, 33 minutes, 25 points again, 4.1 triples, 4.5 rebounds, 6.6 assists, and 1.8 steals, and shot 47, 90, and 41 for a true shooting of 62%, which again is just a stupendous number. How did that compare to his... Um, record-breaking season the year before. Well, it was a big fall. Five points per game he fell. He had uh, he dropped a three per game from 5.1 to 4.1. He dropped a rebound per game. He dropped 0.3 steals per game. He dropped efficiency, which is something I think will bounce back. He went from 50% to 47%. His three-point percentage went from 45 to 41, his lowest number in four years. Yet he still was the fifth-ranked player. So while I say look at Kevin Durant and go, he's going to be pretty much the same. There's a real chance to me that Steph is better. He gets better next season because instead of shooting 46.8, does he get it back up to 49 or 50? Does his three-point percentage go from 41 back to 44? And instead of 4.13s, he's at 4.6 and his scoring goes back to 26.5 instead of 25. Do his steal numbers go back up to two per game where they'd been the two previous seasons? All that stuff's a possibility. It might not because he might keep his minutes lower like he did this year. He played one less, one fewer minutes this season. But Steph is not in a situation to me where well, this is just where he is. There is a little bit of room for improvement in a few of these different areas. He could also increase his, like his rebounding drop by one rebound a game. And we saw how aggressive he could be rebounding the ball throughout the NBA finals, especially. So there's a reason, there's a chance he could get that back up to five. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw an improved season from Steph Curry next season. Don't don't be shocked if the scoring goes up a bit and the efficiency goes up and you know, the steals, they rise back. There are a few things that can increase, I think, next season from Steph, things that aren't you know, 100% usage dependent. And yes, he, he took two less shots per game, so he's not getting the 30 points a game. He's probably not getting five threes a game, but the efficiency, uh, the steals and the rebounds are things that can all bounce back. And that could take him from being the guy that you might you know, pick at five or six and becoming the guy that could be three or four. Like he could very, very easily be that player again. He led this team in on-off at an absolutely monstrous plus 17.5, which on a team this good, that is a stupidly, stupidly good number. Because of course, we're comparing it to how the, the players on the bench perform and the other guys, like, you know, he's off and then it's KD and Clay running things. For him to be a plus 17.5 is a bananas number. Draymond, <clears throat> 33 minutes a game for Draymond, 76 games, only 10 points, 1-3, 8 boards, 7 assists, 2 steals, 1.5 blocks, 42, 71, and 31 as his percentages. He was still the 20th ranked player. 20th, and he only averaged 10 points per game. He is a guy that we, we thought, all right, he is going to have to sacrifice offense. He did. He definitely sacrificed offense. But what about his other numbers? His scoring went down from 14 to 10. That's a big dip. His, his uh, rebounding went down from 9.4 to 7.9 because Kevin Durant was a very good rebounder in comparison to Harrison Barnes. His assists actually dropped from 7.4 to 7. But what happened is he took his steals up from 1.5 to 2. Big jump there. And his efficiency dropped. So like Steph, I don't expect that Draymond's going to be a 41.7% field goal shooter next season. So he has scope to go from the 20th best. He was he fell in all those areas. Less points, less threes, less rebounds, less assists. Lower field goal percentage. He fell in all those things and still dropped from 12th to 20th. 
he can get that field goal percentage back to 45, 46, 47%. The three-pointers where he was at 39 this year before and he was only at 31 this season. He can take that and get that back to 35%. Can he get an extra half an assist a game? Sure. Could he get to 11.5 points? Sure. And then he becomes like the 15th ranked player. But as I talk, I've talked a lot and I talk a lot in the preseason, getting a guy with extraordinarily low points early can be a challenge because the high points guys, they're all gone. They all go in the top 30 picks. They're gone. And if you don't compete, then you cannot catch that up. It's really hard to catch that up. So you've got to be in a real certain situation, either grabbing a guy like Westbrook or Harden or Curry or Durant, someone who's scoring 27, 28 points. If you're getting Chris Paul and then backing it up with Draymond, that's 19 points and 10 points. You're done. You're not competing in points. You might as well punt it. And that's a fine strategy because obviously the fact that you're getting eight boards, seven assists, two steals, and one and a half blocks is really, really valuable. But your ability to get the points back, it's really tough. You're not getting big point scorers. I, I'll have to, I'll have to check this, but I think outside the top 50, you just can't, you can find maybe one bloke who's a 20 point per game scorer. And when you start off with a guy that's a 10 point per game scorer, you need multiple 20 point scorers and it does become difficult. And, and, and that's a concern, but it's not, it's not something that's not doable. But it is something that, that probably steers me away from Draymond in a lot of different cases, despite his overall metrics telling me that this is the spot where he is. It does have to be balanced. And that's why it's always not just about taking the best player. It's about taking the right fit at the right time for your team. And sometimes that might not be Draymond. Sometimes it will be. But I wouldn't expect his scoring to jump back up and all of a sudden he's a 16-point-per-game guy on this team or, or anything, anything along those lines. Um, where are we at next? We're looking at Clay Thompson, the other member of this big four. Clay played 78 games. He was the 34th ranked player, 34 minutes, 22.3 points, 3.4 triples, three and a half rebounds, two assists, 0.8 steals, half a block, 47, 85, and 41 for a true shooting of 59%. Clay Thompson's an interesting one. He's a, a worse head to head guy than Roto. I think he went, fell from 28th to 41st in my head to head rankings. He had a stronger second half of the year. He was 51st pre All Star, 33 post. And that can tie into the fact that Kevin Durant was not around in that second half of the season. He only played six games, limited minutes as he recovered from that MCL sprain. So that enabled Clay to really, really step up and become more like the guy we saw before. But what, what did we see change from him this season? Well, he played more minutes which was a little bit weird. He's scoring, and you talk about Clay. I'm not sacrificing shit. He didn't sacrifice shit. He took more shots this season than last year, 0.4 extra field goal attempts per game. Went from 22.1 points to 22.3 points. His threes were the same. His rebounds were the same. His assists were the same. His steals were the same. His blocks were the same. His field goal percentage was the same, and his free throw percentage was basically the same. So why did he drop from 25 to 34? Other people got better. And that's the way these rankings work. It's not a case of you put up these stats, therefore you are ranked at this spot. Because if a bunch of other guys do better, then they move ahead of you and you move down. So a lot of the times, that'll even happen when I'm doing the head-to-head rankings. You'll see someone like Kawhi is you know sixth in rotisserie rankings, but 12th in head-to-head rankings. Oh, why is he worse in head-to-head? Well, it's not that he's worse. It's that other people become better or you know, they get more value in that format. And that's the same thing for Clay. His numbers literally identical, like 0.2 points different, 0.13s, 0.1 rebounds. 
exactly the same assists, exactly the same steals, 0.1 blocks, 0.002 field goal percentage, 0.2 free throw percentage. The numbers are identical. But he dropped 25th to 34th, 10 spots, because other players got better. We saw bigger performances from so many other players. The NBA was playing at a more efficient rate than they ever have before, the highest offensive rating that they've ever had before pace the highest it's ever been before so all these other numbers caught up and other people jumped ahead of him can clay maintain that same value possibly no i don't look at that all that stuff's great they're getting 22 points and getting points is hard three threes and doing it at that efficiency is great but apart from that clay offers nothing like threes can be found elsewhere not at that efficiency and not at that volume yes but He's not offering you much else, like three and a half rebounds, two assists, 0.8 steals, and 0.5 blocks. Like They're not great numbers. His value is extraordinarily concentrated in his points and threes, and that's it. In fact, if you look at the standard scores of all his categories, he's a big positive in points and a huge positive in threes. Negative rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, field goal percentage, and a marginally positive free throw percentage. So he's really a points and three sort of guy who's not hurting in other areas. And that has its value, but it's not for everybody. Again, it all goes back to my saying, which I'm probably going to get tattooed right across my ass. It's not about the best player. It's about the best player for your team or the best fit for your team or building the best team. I don't know how I want to phrase this this ass tattoo I'm going to get. We'll see. Now we move into the dregs of this team. Oh, man, that's not fair. Andre Iguodala was solid. He was the 109th ranked player this season, only 26 minutes a game. Didn't play as much because he didn't need to. And they preserved him and his uh, wonky knees, especially through the playoffs where that started to become a problem. Only 7.6 points, 0.83s, four boards, three and a half assists, a steal, half a block, 53 and 71 as his percentages and 36% from three. So some absolutely supreme efficiency from Iguodala, a true shooting of 63%. He was The team was 1.1 points better off with him on the court. And he had an interesting season is that he was 147th ranked guy before the All-Star break, Kevin Durant went, got injured, 73rd ranked player after the All-Star break. As he played an extra two minutes a game, he scored an extra three points per game. His rebounds, his assists, all his numbers went up. And weirdly, his efficiency went through the roof. And he had a true shooting of 67% after the All-Star break. That's and Sometimes you can look at after the All-Star break, especially for younger guys. And go, all right, let's look at this. How can we translate this through to the next season? Because... Did they start to get it? Did they start to form themselves into a bigger role? Do they understand Did the game slow down? Did their shots start falling? For a guy like this, you don't look at post-All-Star and go, you know what, that's what Iguodala's going to do next year. Bang, 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 it's all happening because it was to do with the absence of Kevin Durant. And he's likely just to slide back and almost guaranteed to me, I don't think he's a, a selectable guy in standard league drafts, you know, despite those numbers. But 147th pre-All-Star break is a more realistic expectation of what to get from Andre Iguodala heading into next season. Now, if he goes to a different team and doesn't play 26 minutes a night and plays 30 minutes a night, then yeah, he has that value in that back end. The good assist numbers, good steals, the efficiency will drop. I've got no doubt about that. But the ability to provide some rebounds and assists, his scoring will go up in some nice steal numbers. But it's it's unlikely that uh, it's unlikely he he moves. It's unlikely he goes anywhere, and it's unlikely he becomes a standard league player next year. Now we've got a bunch of guys who are free agents and not very good. Let's start with Zaza. Well, not from a fantasy point of view, of course. Zaza Pachulia, seventy games, eighteen minutes, 
6.6 rebounds, 2 assists, 0.8 steals, half a block, 54-78 as his percentages. You know, solid numbers there for Pachulia. The team was 6.2 points better off with him on the court. A lot of that's to do with the fact that he played a lot of his minutes with starters. He had a decent start to the year. He was the 127th ranked player before the All-Star break, but he did start to see his minutes dwindle after the break, and we saw a little bit more JaVale in that time period. If Zaza goes somewhere else and um, becomes a starting center and plays 27 minutes a game, he could have 12-team value. The problem is there are just so many centers around. Where's he going that's he going to, that he's going to get that role? What team is going to say, cool, what we need is Zaza Pachulia to be our 27-minute-a-game starting center? <clears throat> Dwight Howard's not going to get 27 minutes a game next season, so I don't see Zaza being that player. He's going to be a deeper league guy, probably an 18-team league guy with Golden State, maybe 16-teamer with someone else, but he does have definite um, definite streamability. No doubt he's got uh, he's got streamability because of his, you know, he can come in and get some rebounds and get you a steal as a big man and provide some good efficiency. And that can be useful on, on back-to-back situations across a weekend, that sort of thing. That's where Zaza Pachulia can have that value. Matty Barnes' this season, it's tough to really view that. He had some bigger minutes in Sacramento, came to Golden State, and then barely played. I don't know if he'll be back in Golden State. Wherever... Um, um, wherever, wherever he, uh, wherever he goes, I can't see him becoming a, a standard league guy. He, he did wear down. Look, he had the opportunity in Sacramento when Rudy Gay went down and he, he couldn't step up and, and couldn't step up to the plate. And at the age of what is 36 or 37, I don't, um, I, I don't think that, that, uh, that Matty Barnes is going to be able to improve his performance. He averaged seven points, five rebounds, 2.6 assists, and 1.23s, half a steal, half a block, and shot 39%. So any hope of him ever returning to standard league value, I think, is pretty cooked. He was a negative 8.6 in on-off numbers for this team, and he's more a 20-team league guy. Uh, moving forward, Dave West was impressive, but the minutes just weren't there. 13 minutes, 4.6 points and 3 rebounds, 0.6 deals and 0.7 blocks at 54 and 77. Now, if West says, you know what, I've sacrificed money for the last two years to win a ring, I've won them. Can I move on somewhere else? He would be a guy that would go from 12 minutes to 19 minutes to 20 minutes, and you would want him to play those minutes because he is still very, very good, and he could still be a player that has value. Now, he was the 224th-ranked player this season, but he would be a top 200 guy, maybe a top 170 guy, and become a 16-team league player if he moved to another team. So he is a guy uh, over Barnes for sure, maybe not over Zaza, but he's got that ability, and he definitely has sacrificed a lot over these last two seasons, but there is still some ability there for Dave West. JaVale McGee played 10 minutes a game and 77 games. The fact that JaVale McGee played 77 games on the championship team and was a key contributor is absolutely amazing. He had some good flashes in Dallas last season, but I don't think anybody expected... Look, he wasn't even guaranteed to make the roster at the start of the year. Six points, three rebounds, 0.9 blocks, 65 and 51 is his percentage. So we know what he can do. Block shots. Could he go somewhere else? I think there is a chance of that. Could he find himself in a larger role? There is a chance of that as well, but he's going to be just a deeper league guy and a streaming sort of candidate because we know if he plays 20, 22 minutes a game, he's going to be a guy that sniffs around the fringes of a standard league. But much like with Zaza, what team is giving him that sort of a role? He's going to be a 15-minute or so shop. Maybe he goes to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting one. 
He can get those blocks. He can get that field goal percentage. He can get the rebounds and he can score a little bit as well. So there is, uh, he's going to be an interesting player to watch as to where he goes, especially for deeper leagues, but he could see a, a, a decent rise in his numbers. Ian Clark, who's almost certain to move on, 77 games, 15 minutes, 7 points, 0. 0.8 threes, 1.6 rebounds, 1.2 assists, and half a steal, and shot an, a remarkably efficient 49% from the field and 76 from the line. He, he, he That's efficient, but he was extraordinarily streaky with his efficiency. Like He had those games against Portland where he'd go 90% from the field or 100% from the field, then he'd struggle at times. I am not the biggest Ian Clark fan. Someone is going to pay him and he is going to move on, and he will no doubt be better than the 281st player, which he was this season, and he will play more than 15 minutes a game, probably a 21-minute-a-game guy, but I can't see him becoming this awesome top 150 prospect Maybe he becomes a top 200 guy. I just don't believe that he is a he is a great player. Shawnee Livingston, 287th ranked player, 18 minutes, five points, two rebounds, two assists, half a steal, and 0.3 blocks on 55 and 70 percent, which is ridiculous efficiency. And if Livingston returns, which I imagine he will, he's a guy that when Steph goes down and he moves into the starting lineup, you know what? He has 14 team league value valuability. That's not the right word. Value. He has 14 team league value. In that situation, if he if Steph gets hurt, because of his efficiency, he can get assists and his really good rebounding rate as a point guard. But we know his age; he's not getting any better than this. And you know, I don't think there's any hope to expect breakouts from Shawnee Livingston. The next guy is the, probably the most interesting player on this roster. Obviously, those top four guys are really interesting. But Pat McCaw, as a second round rookie, I was super pumped that he went to this team. 15 minutes a game, four points, 0. 0.63s, one and a half rebounds, one assist, half a steal, 43, 78, and 33. Nothing about that or his 347th ranking makes you go, you know what, that's awesome. But if Iguodala leaves or when Iguodala winds it down in a couple of years, McCaw is the guy who is ready to replace him. When we saw Kevin Durant out and Iguodala out at, towards the end of the regular season at times, and McCaw stepped in and he was bloody awesome. He started games in the playoffs. He is a guy that is going to be a fantasy contributor in two to three year times, three years time. And you should be considering McCaw as having top 120 upside, I think. His ability to get steals, hit threes, get assists is a very, very good combination. Efficient already as a rookie is a 43 and 78 guy with a true shooting of 54. He's a great start for a second round wing. Um, and again, that steal ability from him and his defensive nous is, is really important. And he is going to be a legit 20 plus minute Apparently, the road's collapsing outside my house. I don't know what that was. He's going to be a, a legit, at least at least 24-minute-a-game guy at some point in the next couple of years, and he could be forced into that larger role as soon as next season if Iguodala does happen to leave. So McCaw is the guy that you do need to get really interested in with this team. Now, he was a horrendous minus 17 in on-off on this team, but a lot of that's to do with the fact that he's you know, replacing Curry and replacing Durant and replacing Clay Thompson Second half of the season, when Durant was out, he moved from 361st to 271st. Yeah, a big, big jump in that time frame. He played 20 minutes a game and averaged 5, 2, and 1.3 with 0.6 steals and half a 3. And still, his efficiency, 45-95. They're big numbers from McCaw. He is the guy that, you know, if you're in a 12-team dynasty... He's not going to have too much impact this season, but you're not going to compete. Maybe you hold on for a couple of years. But I, I do think that a top 120, maybe a top 100 season will be in Pat McCaw's future. 
The other three guys on this roster, James Michael McAdoo, nine minutes, three points, two rebounds, 0.6 blocks. You know what? He was okay. I don't think he's really all that exciting, but he's better than Kavon Looney. And he can put up some block numbers, which might be interesting in very deep leagues if he moves somewhere else. Kavon Looney, I don't think he's very going to stay very long in Golden State. Eight points, 53 games. The the talk is that they just don't think that he fits in with their culture. He doesn't work hard enough. He's had multiple hip surgeries on both hips. Um, he hasn't really shown anything in the time that he's been on the court, so I wouldn't be investing in him as a uh, as a long-term prospect. But Damian Jones is the interesting one. Ten games, nine minutes, Two points, two rebounds, half a block, fifty and thirty percent from the line's horrible. But I'm uh, I'm I'm okay with with Damian Jones. I think that there is a little bit of something there now. A season with a, a negative nine point six box score plus minus with a uh, PR of five shouldn't get anyone excited whatsoever. But with David West, JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, none of those guys being long term solutions at center. That pretty pretty clearly none of them being long-term solutions at center. Jones, who missed all of Summer League, most of preseason with a torn pectoral, didn't get a good um, preparation for the year. There is there is a little bit of um there is a bit of hope for him. Now he played in the D League, 26 minutes a game in his 31 games and averaged 11 points, seven rebounds, and 2.1 blocks. Yes, the free throw percentage is a concern. He was only 50% there as well, but 58 from the field. He is a guy that I think has got some decent upside. I'd have him over Looney. I'd have him over McAdoo in your 30-teamers, 24-teamers, that sort of situation. I think you could see Jones in two, three years' time moving into a 18-minute-a-game role as a center and maybe sneaking himself into the top 250. That's a possibility. So I was encouraged by what we saw from Damian Jones uh, Damian Jones from this season. <clears throat> Question time for the last of the uh, of these podcasts. Greg Ehrenberg from Basketball Monster says, are they good? Greg, yes, they are the best team of all time. Thank you for that enlightening question. Dylan Shuck, can they do it without KD? Yes. Oh, look, they, they, they probably couldn't have this season, to be honest. He was awesome. But yes, I believe that they... They, if they had brought back the same team, Bogut, Barnes, those sort of guys, I think that they would have won it again. But obviously, KD makes it easier. And if you just took KD off the team now and no one replaces him, then they would struggle a bit. But they are still, they still probably would be the best team in the NBA, even without KD. Jordan says, will Kevin Durant be underrated in fantasy again? I think he might be marginally underrated. Um, but he's in that top five zone. So it's hard to be too underrated when you're in that area. Jack Epstein says, as it stands now, who do you think has the best chance of challenging them? San Antonio or Houston? Um, I think it's I think it's the Spurs. Um, they're maneuvering to to uh, to get some other players in. I think I think it's the Spurs. Houston not far off, but I think um, I think it's the Spurs. Houston gets Paul George though, which is a possibility that would uh, that would open things up a lot. And James C says, does Pat McCaw become a much bigger part of the rotation next year? Yes, and potentially more. Yes, I think he he takes some a lot of Ian Clark's minutes. And then there's the Andre Iguodala situation. So yes, I think that he probably pushes to 18 to 20 minutes a game next year. Doesn't sneak him into top 150 calculations, but should be able to get himself inside the top 250, maybe top 220 uh, as, as a as a guess at this early stage. And that does it for the Golden State Warriors. That is it for the 30-team season in review series. 
one day before the draft we're finished. Go back and check out yesterday's pod if you haven't heard it, the 2017 mock draft. If you have heard it and deleted it, just re-download it. Give me the extra download numbers. That would be great. And then tomorrow, I'll be tweeting during the draft, obviously. And then after the draft finishes, we'll be doing a draft review podcast talking about what ever bullshit went down, trades, um, weird draft picks. I'll be discussing all that with a very early look at how these situations might play out, which could all get changed when free agency comes. But just to give you an early idea, because I know on a league I'm in, my rookie draft starts an hour after the actual draft finishes. So you've got to be on, on the ball for that. So make sure you are tuning in and uh, and and listening to that show tomorrow. And then next week will be a lighter week. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. One thing I know that I'm going to do next week, I'm going to have a mailbag show and it can be basketball questions, fantasy basketball questions, life questions, food questions. I want any sort of questions that you guys can throw at me. I'll send a tweet out for that across the weekend to reply to, but I want any sort of questions for that mailbag show next week. Probably only do two or three shows next week and then I'm off to uh, to Summer League and there'll be some free agency shows and Summer League shows happening from over in the United States. All right, we are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Kevin Durant.